Welcome to Communicate Like You Give a Damn, the podcast. Our guests share their stories and approaches to embedding diversity, equity, and inclusion in communications because, I mean, let's be honest, we know the power of language. And language leads to behavior. So thank you. Thank you for joining us in leveling up your communications. I'm your host, Kim Clark. And DEI communications, it's, it's kind of my thing. So let's get into it. Let's learn more about how to communicate like you give a damn. Hello, hello. Welcome back. I am so pleased to be here with Angela Howard. Angela and I got connected, what was it, like a year or so, maybe mm-hmm. a little bit more. And we just hit it off the first time we met. We're like, there's so much synergy between our work, but also our interests, our passions. Um And I'm super fascinated by your path of how you got into diversity and equity inclusion work. Um, So why don't you introduce yourself? And then I've got like a ton of questions for you. Yeah, yeah. Well, Kim, thank you so much for having me. Uh, First of all, it was a pleasure having you on the podcast, on my podcast. (laughs) So the tables have turned. It's a beautiful thing to be on the other side. So thank you for that. Um, Hi, everyone. My name is Angela Howard. I um, I'm an organizational psychologist and the CEO of a company called Call for Culture. And, uh, you know, we focus on culture transformation work. Uh, and what does that mean? Because I think we're, we're throwing the word culture around a lot lately. And really what we're focused on is how do you match organizations' words with their actions and ultimately connecting that back to their value system. So from a behavioral perspective, how are we shifting and transforming organizations? And so that's a little bit about me. No, that's what makes us so awesome as partners, because, you know, I often say language leads to behavior. So mm-hmm. I got the language, I got the communications, yes. you've got the culture, you've got the behavior. <laughs> I love it. Just like two peas in a pod are work. I love that. Exactly, exactly. So what? tell me more about what an organizational psychologist Mm -hmm. does and and what that background is and and how do you apply that to your work? Yeah. So, you know, I always like to say, uh, you know, IO psychologist. So the the technical term for my degree is industrial organizational psychology. Uh, I think it's becoming more and more prominent, uh, but we do have a branding problem. So I think someone (laughs) in communications should work on that. I'm automatically thinking of grease and machines. Right. Yeah, exactly. We have a horrible branding problem. But really, you know, this work started during the Industrial Revolution, where quite honestly, it was like, you know, how do we most effectively get the most out of people, you know, and of course, that's not the work we do today. It's it's evolved more to, you know, how do humans actually behave within the workplace? How do we think about organizations as microcosms of society and almost like a study of anthropology, right? Um, but we're using um, data and science to make decisions around around people within organizations and how to not just get the most out of them, but also to work with the human condition and how humans thrive within the workplace. Okay. All right. So you were defining culture earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, often there's, there's an acknowledgement of the formal side of culture and then the informal side of culture. So when you're working with clients and if you have any kind of stories, you know, to talk about certain client situations, to, 
how do you help them understand the influence of culture, especially towards diversity, equity, and inclusion goals for an organization? Yeah, so I think a lot of times we have misconceptions around what culture is. Um, you know, this connects back to my academic background because in IO psychology, we talk a lot about the organization as a system and how the different pieces work together to drive behavior and action and change. And um, so when it comes to culture, you know, culture is really just a culmination of rituals, beliefs, habits, things that happen almost like below the surface. It's things you can't quite, you can't always name or put your finger on, but they've evolved over time to a, a point where it just is. And a lot of times this gets in the way of change, because if you think about a founder who's built a company and it's a hundred years old, you can, you can see how those traditions and rituals have evolved over time to just stick, right? And nobody questions them. Nobody says anything. But what a lot of organizations don't do is they don't audit that connected back to their value system. So we work with organizations to say, okay, well, you have these beautiful core values, right? These were core values that maybe were developed even a hundred years ago, they haven't changed with the times or even, you know, broader culture and society. So maybe we should relook at them. Uh, and let's really talk about what are the behavioral proof points that tell us that we're doing these things. And I think a lot of organizations do a great job of putting the beautiful words on a web page or a wall, but they don't actually define the behaviors. So I'm talking about inclusion. You're talking about inclusion from completely different mental models. I think that's really very important to understand as we may be throwing around these terms, but it doesn't mean I understand them. It doesn't mean that, you know, I mean the same thing and, 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 and it doesn't necessarily mean that I know what it looks like when it's happening. Uh, another challenge that we have as DEI communicators is that we focus and rely on the terms diversity, equity, and inclusion mm -hmm. as kind of safeguards that people get it and people understand. That's not the case. So I'm challenging a lot of my clients to say, what are the outcomes of diversity yes. that we're seeking? What are the outcomes of, of equity and inclusion are we seeking? So it's, it's more of like use those words and that will reach more people who are triggered by the words, by the phrases and, you know, and words DEI for sure. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I think, no, I know <laughs> that us as communicators, need to go below the surface to understand what diversity, equity, inclusion actually is because we use these terms to kind of hide behind and mm -hmm. we don't go deeper into what they actually mean. So, you know, people who are kind of new to DEI or feel like it's being pressed upon them, I think one of the things they don't, they, that we have not done a good job as DEI communicators to do for these folks is to help them understand that DEI exists in culture. Mm -hmm. Wherever there's people, there's a culture that's created, co-created. And yes. what we're seeing is kind of the shadow side of DEI because it's wild, wild west. It's not intentional. It's not strategic. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not informed. And that's what all we're trying to do is to get to just like really honing in on a product uh, on a service and truly understanding what it is, knowing how to measure it and understanding the benefits of this product to our company 
it's really understanding and getting below that surface. So we don't just hide, hide behind these terms. So can you talk a little bit more about how culture can be unbridled, that it will happen with or without us. But as we get more intentional with co-creating culture towards these outcomes that diversity, equity, and inclusion are trying to drive us towards and, and promise us. Yeah, so the, the best analogy I can think of for this to kind of use, use a little bit of storytelling here is a garden. And I use this often when, when it comes to culture because First of all, what happens when you don't tend to a garden? You get weeds, right? So culture yeah, is going to... my backyard to... right now. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Same. <laughs> Mine too. Um, so if you're thinking about culture as it's something you certainly need to curate in your mind, but you also have to do things. You can't just speak it and make it so. So I can't just say, you know what? This bed of flowers is going to be a beautiful bed of daisies. You actually have to, you know, dig in the dirt. You've got to pull the weeds. You have to constantly tend to the culture of your organization. And I think sometimes as leaders, we, we have these programs, right? We develop these programs that have a start date and an end date. And well-intended, maybe a little performative because <laughs> culture is something. You're being much that- more kind than I am. <laughs> Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm slicing and dicing my words a little bit here, but, <laughs> but truly, you know, you have to, um, you have to nurture culture. You have to understand what the layout of it, you know, if we think about the garden, again, the, the daisies go there, the, the roses go there. We want to make sure the weeds are pulled. You know, the weeds are about the best analogy for people or leaders who are actually doing the opposite of what you want within your culture. So I think sometimes we so focus so much on adding on mm-hmm. when in reality we should be deconstructing or even taking away to get to the culture that we're looking for. So absolutely, yeah. it's absolutely something you have to tend to constantly. And really you need an anchor for that. And we, um, you know, our philosophy at Call for Culture is that your value systems translated into those behavioral proof points is your anchor. Uh, And that should be something that's baked into everything you do, how you hire, how you develop, how you evaluate, how you hold people accountable, what your policies and processes look like, how your employment value proposition um, shows up, how your brand uh, value shows up. It should be baked into everything that you do as an organization. And planting those seeds. So if we're we're planting Mm -hmm. seeds of roses, don't be really pissed off if it comes out as roses when you actually wanted tulips. You can't be mad at the seeds. It's like, what are you, take a look around. If there's a whole bunch of apple trees and you're like, where's the variety? Well, it's because we've been planting apples this whole time. So there's that, that's where we're coming from and being strategic and intentional and saying, if we want a wide variety of fruit in our orchard, (laughs) that's what we have to plant and nurture to your point. So let's get into language. So what role does language have when it comes to shaping culture and, um, you know, you know, and just communications in general? Yeah. So, gosh, I have so many thoughts on this. Uh, The first thought is, you know, I I like to think about language as there's there's equity in it. So um, what I mean by that is, you know, when I start working with an organization, 
I spent a lot of time pretty much the first month learning the language of the organization. Because back to that point around inclusion, what I'm saying and you're saying may be two completely different things. We, we may be using different words, but meaning the same thing as well. So we spent a lot of time just from, an, our, and this is where the anthropology comes in, um, observing, understanding. When we talk about culture, what are we actually talking about? Um, you're saying one thing, but meaning another. Your behavior and your actions are mismatched. Why is that? Um, so language, I think, has some brand equity in it, and it's important to sometimes meet people where they are. <laughs> uh, that's the first piece is I may be saying one thing and, 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 and using different language, but we may be talking about the same thing. So I think language can connect people and create understanding. Um, the second thing is that language sends a signal. So um, if we're using language that makes me feel less than celebrated, if we're using language that um, excludes people because nobody knows what it means, uh, that is a tool for exclusion within an organization. And then thirdly, um, you know, I think language is just something that, again, from an anthrop anthropology perspective, it it's more of that broader C culture, right? I think of like workplace culture as a lowercase C, and then you're working with the, the broader uh, uppercase C. Language is how we um, use, uh, you know, information and share information and tell people how we're feeling, how we're doing. Um, and then hearing things over and over thing, again, I think are really important for, for things to stick from a cultural perspective. So that was a lot because I, no, I, I, I saw it. this question and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so many implications around language. So, so much. Yeah. And uh, I know you're a proponent of inclusive language and gender neutral language and really helping clients understand what is inclusive language. What is that language that we can use to create this culture that your values are asking you to create? Uh, I do a lot of we're, we're recording this during Pride Month in June, mm -hmm. and I do a lot of talks about pride, tell my own personal, you know, coming out story, et cetera. And one of the things that I always want to share is this idea of an inclusion agreement where in order to create a welcoming environment, one of the things that I sniff out as a gay woman is, are you making jokes about the gay community? Are you, um, you know, saying love is love, but doing a different thing? Like you said, like, uh, do you make fun of pronouns? Do you not have your pronouns on your email signature? So there's, there's these signifiers that people within the community look for to see if they're safe in your yes. environment. And I am reminded of a story I was told by my mentor who said that it's a great story. It's of a kid and, you know, a bunch of kids in kindergarten. And the, and the question was asked, what is love? Mm. You know, so we were talking about all these different ways that definitions can come out. So one kid says, love is my name safe in your mouth. Oh, that's powerful. My name is safe in your mouth. And so mm -hmm. if we think about that in a workplace, like is my name, is my identity, is who I am safe in your mouth, whether I'm in the room or not, and whether you know me or not. So whether I ever meet you or not. So mm -hmm. in your family, in your coworkers, the, the, the team that you may manage or the company you may lead or how you vote or where you spend and donate your money, is my name, is my identity, is my humanity safe with you? Mm 
So I, I really think it's important for folks to understand, you know, the role that language leading to behavior and co-creating this culture is these are things that we're looking for. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're looking for words and phrases. Are there jokes or the way are, are, are people not stopping jokes? Um, and then I know that I'm not safe in this environment. And um, then I know who to trust and who not to trust. And so and one of those early signifiers is people who use their pronouns, mm. for example, that I know that at least they're aware enough and care enough uh, to extend that signifier to folks mm. in the community. Now, you work with a variety of companies, and they're all over the place from just getting started or may have been working on DEI in various forms over the last two decades, right? Mm. So I'm super interested in what in this day and time where we're experiencing right now, basically a DEI backlash from yes. three years ago, the summer of 2020, where there was this thrust forward, where there was this requirement that we need to start talking about racism, sexism, um, uh, ableism, uh, heteronormativity, et cetera. We have to talk about it, but we all suck at talking about it, especially in a work environment. We have terrible or no role models for this, but now there's this pushback, which is a signifier of progress being a spiral. It's not linear. It's a spiral. So we're circling around, which means we're going to come around the bend very soon. And there's going to be this momentum going forward, which is what listeners of this podcast are looking for, is how to be a part of that movement, that continued forward movement of inclusivity in the workplace, as well as in society in general. So what are some of the like the top three challenges that you're seeing your clients and organizations going through as they do this work in the midst of this kind of, you know, shit show. <laughs> a lot of organizations are, yes. are experiencing right now this, you know, this, uh, this identity crisis. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's so interesting to watch because I think, I'm seeing one of two things. Either people are really doubling down on their values around this and they're saying it's even more important than it was before. Mm -hmm. um, and those are the people we want to work with, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. one thing that I've I've learned in this work is that um, I would love to be able to change minds. And that is a part of our influence as communicators and as change makers. And I don't want to enter an organization and waste your money or my money mm -hmm. if this is something you're not committed to do. So right. it is this fine balance. Agreed. Or two, there's people who are doubling down on the other side and saying, you know what, we're just going to focus on customer uh, centric operations. We're going to focus on things that, you know, in the short term drive profit um, and aren't really a part of this sustainability conversation. My theory is those companies are going to fail. Yes, we'll see them in a year or two when they, it's going to be more expensive to fix. I'm right there with you. Exactly. So I think what the, the big themes that I'm finding as we're, you know, because we go through an assessment process, we do kind of a reality check with organizations, we audit their value system. This is all part of our process. And at the end of the process, when we're presenting the results to them, the one thing that comes up every single time is leadership role modeling. Mm -hmm. Is a lack of reality setting around how the executive team or the top level leaders are actually 
exemplifying, operationalizing the values in their day-to-day behavior. There's usually a realization that there's somebody at the top who is counter culture to what we're looking to build. Mm-hmm. And there's usually a lot of hard decisions that need to be made. Um, you know, I work with some companies where the CEO had lack of visibility that they had a problematic leader within the organization. And through our process, they realized, oh, one bad player in this is going to destruct our entire culture. And I will say that, you know, your culture is your worst behavior at your organization. When I tell that to leaders, it kind of clicks for them. Like, oh, this is this is a question of integrity. I get it. It's not just about a bunch of activity. It's also about my integrity as a leader, as a CEO, as a founder. And they quickly start to... And legacy. Absolutely. So that's a big aha moment. And, you know, there's some people, there's some leaders who really are focused on that legacy. And there's some who just don't get that. And um, so it's kind of a coaching opportunity throughout our, our time together to help them understand how this is impacting their culture, how some of this is more lagging indicators versus leading indicators. Mm -hmm. But I do believe, you know, we can pretty quickly understand if the commitment is is there up front pretty early on or if it's performative. And I will say there there seems to be a a split of those two things. And we try to lean towards those companies who are committed to the work. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I've changed how I describe the kind of work that I do is that I work with folks, primarily communicators and leaders who are serious about learning and applying diversity, equity, and inclusion to their communications on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm right there with you, you know, and some people may have that intention you were talking about, that good intention, that well-intentioned. Mm-hmm. Yes. They think that they're serious about the work, but as I have found and why I you know, reached out to Janet Stovall to co-author a book with me on uh, conscious communications in general, is that I find that a lot of communicators and leaders in particular don't understand what the work is. They meant what they put up in the summer of 2020 Mm -hmm. in the tweets, but they didn't really understand what the work is that's behind it. So yes, there's a lot of us DEI practitioners that we're not going to participate in performative work with clients because that gives an excuse to leaders to say, see, it doesn't work. Yes, when exactly. When it's not our work that failed, right? It could be just mostly an education of understanding what the work actually is and just coming to that mm-hmm. agreement up front to truly yes. understand are like, and are you in? And we'll take you where you are. We'll, we'll take, we'll move mm-hmm. you where you, from where you are. You don't have to go zero to 60. But you, you know, and there's this whole amount of work that I'm sure that you see when you're making recommendations and do your roadmap is sometimes to your point, it's not always adding new things. Sometimes it's just reducing harm that makes the most <laughs> benefit yes. right off the yes. top. Let's, let's start there. <laughs> I, I would totally agree. And I think, you know, I've, and this is why we've become really clear up front when we work with clients is, we just want to be clear, you are doing the work. We are guiding you because our goal is to work ourselves out of a job. We want this to be sustainable. You don't want to lean on us for a decade, you know, like that's mm-hmm. not smart or conscious. And two, I think, um, you know, a lot of times we work with clients and not so much now because we've, we've, we've smartened up um, mm-hmm. in the process, but you know, you get to that, that end point and they see the results and they're like, oh, 
well, not like that. We didn't, we didn't want you to, to tell us that. Like we wanted to, you, we wanted you to tell us like what kind of training we need or, you know, what kind of like um, monthly DE&I programs we should implement. And <laughs> just like, well, you hired the wrong person. I am so sorry yeah. we were misaligned because that's not work that's going to impact anything. It's, it's throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. Um, so yeah, I, I'm totally with you. Big news, friends! We have found a way to duplicate the content we share. Now it'll be available everywhere all at once. You can now pre-order the DEI Communications Blueprint. (sighs) This is a three-level on-demand video course. It's 21 of the most popular topics I talk about in workshops and training sessions with clients all over the world. And by taking this video course, you will be able to apply a DEI lens to your communications, develop DEI communication strategies, gain confidence, and shift DEI messages to center outcomes, not activities and outputs. Plus, we threw in some more bonuses for those who pre-order ahead of our fall launch. So go to DEICommunicationsBlueprint.com that is deicommunicationsblueprint.com to get started. And, you know, there's a Harvard Business Journal research that I constantly share that talks about it's, it's, it's uh, data collected of over a thousand uh, different companies uh, globally, actually. And these are all organizations that have DEI strategies. And it was found in this data that 75% of employees at different parts and levels of the organization, their daily lives were not impacted or improved in any way, shape, or form. That is 75%. So everything's staying at the top with the awesome branding and the cool infographics. And there might be employee resource groups, but are they empowered you know, to actually do a work. Do they have a business value? Do they have a cultural value? Um, are they supported in a way that actually has meaningful change and improved impact to, you know, uh, folks' experience of the workplace culture? So there's a lot of education that has to go around. There's a lot of paradigms that we need to let go of um, and redefinitions yes. of what this work actually looks like. So when you're working with, a client. Are you working with the communications teams? And if so, what are you needing from them? What are you telling them that is their work to do as part of the successful outcomes of DEI? Yeah. So like you said before, we work with organizations that all of all sizes. And sometimes we're working with organizations that don't have a communication uh, team. So one of the, the key parts of our process is all around messaging. And so if there is a communications team, we work hand in hand with them to align messaging, to align modalities of messaging, the content around that messaging to the initiative, but also to the sustainability of that initiative. So we want to work within the organizational structure of how things are actually communicated. I think that's kind of the first step. There's some basics around how does that company communicate today? 
So we like to meet them where they are, but we also challenge them and ask them to get creative on ensuring that we are inclusively talking to everyone within the organization. It's not just an email that's sent to 500 people with the same messaging. You know, we're also using smaller containers of conversations and listening throughout the process. So we're, you know, sometimes we're coaching the communications team because it might be a more of a traditional communications team. But, you know, our goal is to create bilateral methods of listening and communicating. And we do that through a variety of modalities. But the goal is to plan that out ahead of time work that plan, but then also kind of iterate as we go and as we learn things. So we want to be as strategic and intentional as possible, but with the flexibility to change as we go and to listen and to iterate. And communications really shape the culture. There's a, a tone that's set by communications, kind of words that we use. Are we super jargon heavy? Are we super stuck on our headquartered country's colloquialisms? Mm-hmm. You know, so there are all kinds of ways that communicators really need to step up. I'm a I'm a firm believer. I don't know how you feel about this, Angela, is that DEI efforts cannot be successful without communicators getting their head around this work and stepping up and truly understanding what it is because they are co-creators and shapers of the workplace culture. Yes, absolutely. 100%. And, you know, when I worked as a CHRO, um, before I started my own business, communications and marketing were my two, um, everybody was a partner in a way, but they were really close partners for me. Um, Especially communications, because those two things are just so connected, like you said. With your experience as a chief of human resources officer, um, What's your take on DEI being kind of staged within HR? Oh, well, I think we're we're seeing an interesting trend around like what I like to call kind of this hero and cape <laughs> mentality when it comes to chief people officers and also chief diversity officers where all of this uh, work around culture and DEI sits within a person. And I think there's a lack of understanding that when you when you hire a chief people officer or a chief diversity officer or a chief HR officer, all of the different you know titles we give heads of, um, they are facilitators. They are guides. This work needs to work and be built within the fabric of your organizational culture. And I almost see it as we're, we should be working ourselves out of a job, just like we do as consultants. The uh, diversity team should also be working themselves out of a job. Now, is that possible? Probably not. It's kind of a meta idea, but it's the idea that you're building sustainability within the organization. So when you place DE&I under HR, for example, First of all, you're buffering it and sending a signal that it's not a strategic cultural focus of the organization. You're also sending a signal that this department exists, but it exists in a vacuum and nobody else should be doing this work. <laughs> um, so I, I think it's detrimental, to be honest, to have DE&I sit under HR. 
Um, and I think it's detrimental if organizations are hiring DEI experts or heads of thinking that that person is owning DEI. I love those points. And I, and I completely agree with you. You know, there's an unintentional side of like, oh, this is where it goes because there's budget, it's culture, it's employees. So like that demonstrates we don't really understand what DEI is. So we're going to put it in HR. <laughs> um, yes. and then there's sometimes an intentional, uh, putting it under HR because HR is always there to protect the company and, you know, the company first versus people first. And, uh, it could be there to kind of box in DEI and limit its scope and impact. Um, but while looking like we're doing something, uh, but yes. it's actually not meaningful, which is why we're getting a lot of this performative and, you know, harm, uh, more than good. Sometimes it's intentional to keep it under control. And some of it is, and sometimes it's like, we don't know what it really is. So, you know, it seems like everybody else puts it under HR when in fact, having it, its own lane, like there's IT, there's legal, mm -hmm. there's HR, all of those groups are embedded across the entire organization. Yes. There's always a finance for person in every, in every department. There's always IT, there's always mm -hmm. HR. DEI is no different. Communications should not be any different. There should be communications across and there should be DEI mm -hmm. across. So it's, it's again, flipping the script and really shifting the paradigms of how we understand and taking the time, honestly, to truly understand <laughs> what, <Yes>. what <laughs> DEI is. We keep coming back to that because it just ties into the culture. Like if our culture, we haven't like, how do you feel about this, Angela? something that I work with and with communicators is I challenge them by saying we have a real lack of imagination when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And yes. so it's like, we just kind of look around, even as leaders, we look around and just kind of see what is sometimes it's hard for us to like vision. Uh, something my mentor says, pain pushes until vision pulls. Mm. We're in pain. Mm -hmm. Pain has mm -hmm. been pushing us to do DEI. We were in pain in the summer of 2020. We've, we're feeling a lot of pain. A lot of people are feeling it deeper and deeper. There's a lot of pain going on for the LGBTQ plus community right now with over 550 anti, you know, uh, LGBTQ plus bills and the criminalization of, of people's existence. You know, mm -hmm. so there's a lot of pain that's, that, that, people are experiencing and in some organizations that's enough to push them, but we actually have this tremendous opportunity to shift that momentum and actually be pulled by vision. That takes imagination. Yes. How do you yes. do that with your clients and pulling them towards this vision of, of understanding how their culture and their organization will be improved through this work with you? Yeah, it's, um, it's a multitude of things, but I think the the first one is really the reality check of the gap as to, so what we do in the beginning with our clients is we do something called purpose alignment. And that is really like the development, the memorialization of our value system and those behavioral proof points. Then we assess. And what we typically hear is we thought we were here, but we're actually, the gap is actually this wide, right? Like talking mm -hmm. to the people within the organizations, like the whole, the whole executive team is like, yeah, we're inclusive. We implement all these equity practices and they just like throw out buzzwords, right? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. then you ask your, the people and they're like, like you said, 75% of people don't feel anything. They're like, uh, 
nope. My leader still <laughs> makes me feel super, super unsafe. Right. I'm walking on eggshells. I'm not recognized for my work. Um, I don't feel celebrated. I don't feel like my identity is celebrated. I hear off-putting jokes and microaggressions. And we, so the first thing is really to present the data, the reality. And then, you know, we align that with their purpose, um, the purpose workshop that they work, we work with them on to say, okay, how do we start to close the gap? And this is a multi, this is again, a multi-year and a multi-decade journey. This is not just about implementing a few things and saying, oh, look, we did it. We remeasure, hopefully reassess every year to see how we're closing the gap. And we continue being consistent with the evaluation on our value system. And we continue to hold, you know, if if we're, we continue to be employed by the client, you know, we're kind of accountability partners as well to, to challenge, to step into that challenger role and say, hey, you said this, but you're doing this. Does that make sense to you? <laughs> and if it does, I think we have a problem because we don't see it that way as your consultant. So I think it's about setting the vision up front, assessing against that, that vision, seeing where the gaps are, being really humble mm -hmm. to those results to say, oh, shit, we have a problem. Mm -hmm. Let's work on that. Um, I think what you shouldn't do is see those results and say things like, oh, well, not like that, or that's ridiculous. It's all their problem and not ours, because we've seen mm -hmm. that too. And then there's mm -hmm. kind of just a, a shutdown. Um, mm -hmm. So there's a little bit of grieving that happens. I don't know how else to describe it, because that's there's grieving. Yeah. yeah, people, I, I work a lot with leaders as they're grieving through the results, Mm -hmm. um, and this is actually part of our process. Um, and it's a little bit of the psychology part of it all, which is you're losing something. You're losing of you're losing a vision of what you thought already existed that now you see doesn't exist. And you see all these huge gaps. And some of those gaps are around your own leadership or your leadership team's leadership or how the organization has operated thus far. And so it truly is a grieving process to work through that future vision. But you have to go through it. You have to go through the the murkiness and the the nastiness to get there. It's like the five stages of grief. So oftentimes exactly, we yeah. see the the deny or mm -hmm. the bargaining. Yep. We see the anger. Yep. We're seeing mm -hmm. that a lot. Um, but we don't talk enough about the grieving part and the accepting, the acceptance. Mm -hmm. Those are the five stages of, of, of grief. And so I really appreciate you really talking about that sadness, that kind of sense of loss yes. um, of a different picture uh, and not shutting down and having that humility to be open uh, to hear what, you know, because oftentimes our leaders are surrounded by people that tell them what they want to hear. That's the mm -hmm. beauty of going yep. outside. You get, you yes. know, you know, you don't have, you don't know what you don't know. And you're going to always cater to, you know, what's going to keep your job or get you promoted or keep you out of mm -hmm. trouble. But a consultant can come in and just have real talk. And I think leaders really do respect that and actually appreciate that no matter how, you know, it could be really hard to hear. <laughs> yes. So absolutely. Let me, um, uh, ask you this. This is something that I ask everybody. Uh, and I really look forward to your answer as well on this is the name of the podcast is communicate like you give a damn, right? So what does that sound like in your work to you? What does it feel like? What does it look like? What does it sound like to communicate like you give a damn? 
Yeah. So I think the first thing is understanding your people, not just their roles, but as humans, their wants, their desires, their needs, their aspirations, their agendas. You know, you really have to spend time understanding the nuances and the diversity of your people and know that that translates into different ways of communicating. Um, I think that's the first thing. The second thing I think is all around transparency. So a lot of leaders that I work with um, love to spin communications. (laughs) They love to use the flowery language and it's just not helpful and it does more harm than good. And people, I think, I hate to say this and maybe I'm, maybe I'm not saying it the correct way, but um, this is what I think. I think a lot of leaders underestimate the brilliance of their people Mm -hmm. and they think if they spin results or spin communications, it's just going to, they're just going to like smile and go along with it. People are not dumb. Mm -hmm. People are really, really smart. And so when they can see right through the bullshit, So when you're constantly communicating about how great everything is, you're getting the eye rolls. Trust me. (laughs) So I think communicating like you give a damn is also being able to say the hard shit, being vulnerable as a leader, saying, you know what? Things aren't going well right now. You know, we've had a focus on DE&I, but we're not seeing any impact. And that's a problem. And here's what here's what we're going to do about it. Like, just be real because if you're not people, people are going to roll their eyes and you're going to destroy the integrity of whatever kind of culture transformation you're looking to make. Thank you for saying all that, (laughs) you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's just how refreshing would it be to hear an organization actually own where they are? You take responsibility for it. I was working with an insurance yes. client and there and the CEO said we had a much more racially diverse group of staff than we do now. And the only mm. thing I can say to that is we took our eye off the ball. Now it's a sports yeah. analogy, but one that I understand personally to where it's like, yeah, if you're not intentional and it's not a one and done, like you said, it's not like a chiropractic adjustment. We just, you know, it's one and then we never have to have an adjustment again. It's an ongoing work. Mm-hmm. It's a deepening work. There's always something to learn. So the other thing you have to stick just, with I wanted, it. You, you just mm-hmm. have to stick with it. Otherwise it will get out of hand again, uh, which is what we're also seeing with the LGBTQ plus community is that we can't take our rights for granted, for example. Go ahead. And that's, I wanted to mention that because we are in pride month and I think this month has usually been a, and it still is a time for celebration. Um, and to your point, um, the community's rights are being questioned. The very existence of their bodies and humanity are being questioned. So I think the, the messaging right now, this is a great example of messaging where we can be real to say, uh, we want to be an organization that celebrates this community. But let's be real. We are at the very basic bottom of the pyramid right now around safety how people don't even feel safe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, true. you know, all, all of the, um, the messages around celebrating pride and all these things, they just, I, I think those are, those are met with eye rolls, mm-hmm. at least from me when I'm seeing, a you know, an organization or somebody post about pride month and it's time to celebrate. I'm like, people are afraid for their lives. That's Let's true. talk about that. 
Yeah. Um, before we talk about celebration, because that is the that is the pressing contextual issue right now. So I think there's this balance of getting us to your point, moving towards this vision of what should be, but also acknowledging where we are and having those tough conversations of where we are. And especially if we're not doing well, uh, talking about that and being transparent. Thank you for saying that. I know you're a strong ally and I really, really, really appreciate that you said that. It is near and dear to my heart. Just yesterday morning, my girlfriend and I were talking about meeting up with some friends at a pride event this weekend. And she's Mm -hmm. like, I don't know if I feel safe going. Um, You know, there's a genuine fear. We spent the week last week in Toronto where, you know, walking around in the gay neighborhood um, of Toronto, we, the worst Mm -hmm. thing that we were made aware that could happen is like insults, physical abuse, those kinds of things. But there was never, I didn't realize how alarm, not um, how sensitive I am to my surroundings when I'm in the, in the States, Mm -hmm. how aware I am of exits, uh, how, you know, how kind of tense I was feeling until I was in Toronto and realized mm-hmm. that I, that, you know, there was a little bit of a PS, PTSD that I was feeling of. Mm-hmm. I just didn't realize how, um, how much it was impacting my, my sensitive little system of mm-hmm. just being afraid for my safety and the safety of those around me uh, until I came back to the States. It's, it's actually been kind of a culture shift for me to come back to wow. the States after being in a, in a space where really the worst thing that could happen to me is that someone could call me a name or punch me or try to stab mm. me. Right. That's a, that's, I can deal with that. Terrifying. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to deal with it, but, but I'm not, it's, it's the lethality um, difference. Um, and so, you know, so it's, it's a very real, very personal uh, experience that I'm having right now mm-hmm. in pride mm-hmm. is around our, is, my my personal safety uh, yes just going out and having a good time with my friends like everybody should have the right and ability uh to do so hmm. so you know i love you your work i i admire and respect the incredible work that you're doing and making the shift and taking everything that you've gotten so far and turning it into a service to companies who, who desperately need this kind of service and a little bit of a handholding that you actually help them through the emotional side of this work, which is absolutely necessary. Not everything you use data, but there can be an emotional reaction to that data. So you're just, you're there on both on all the fronts. And I appreciate that work that you do for clients. How can people follow you and stay in touch with your work? Yeah, um, absolutely. Well, thank you, Kim, so much. Um, you can follow me on um, LinkedIn. I'm under Angela R. Howard. Our um, company page is Call for Culture on there. And then if you wanted to reach out, um, you could go to callforculture.com. And that's where you can view a little bit more about our services and how we help organizations through this work. And your podcast is? And my podcast. Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> uh, so we also have a podcast called Social Responsibility at Work. Um, and you could catch us on all of the all of the podcast platforms, anywhere where you listen. And yes, find our episode where you and I yes. are having a chat about some some things that were going on culturally and in, mm-hmm. in communications at the time. 
Uh, and we're still seeing the fallout of that whole scenario that we talked about. <laughs> mm -hmm. Thank you for being here, Angela. Thank you so much. It was a real honor to spend this time with you. Thank you for sharing. Thank you so much, Kim. Appreciate you. Okay. So what popped out to you from this conversation? And I mean, it may take a minute to process, but be sure not to brush off what you just heard. Look, you just need a partner to be with you through this experience and understand what to do next. So I'm inviting you to set up a one-on-one -on -one strategy session. All you need to do is go to communicate like you give a damn the podcast.com and you'll see the button there. The more conscious communicators in the world, the better the world. So thank you for listening. And until next time, let's communicate like we give a damn.